the human endeavor, the human journey is holistic. And we need to be thinking about following Jesus in directional formats that are, are greater than just what I like to do. Welcome to the Wellspring Soul Care Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Gotthart, and I'm part of the Wellspring team. Our desire, our mission at Wellspring is to help people rediscover and reconnect with God's personal, generous love and the joy-filled, flourishing life that's made available to us by Jesus in the kingdom of God. In this podcast, we engage in thoughtful conversations about our inner lives and the care of souls, ours and others. Today we have a great conversation for you. I got to talk to AJ Sherrill, who has more than 20 years of experience as a pastor, including lead pastor at Mars Hill Bible Church in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and is now lead pastor at St. Peter's Church in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. He's also an adjunct professor at Fuller Seminary, teaches courses on transformational preaching and the Enneagram, which he's written extensively and taught extensively about. But today, especially, we're going to talk about his book, which is just coming out, called Being with God, The Absurdity, Necessity, and Neurology of Contemplative Prayer. Contemplative prayer is something that we practice, encourage, and even teach ourselves at Wellspring. And so this is a topic that we very much resonate with. And I think you'll find this conversation really helpful. Enjoy our conversation with A.J. Sherrill. AJ Cheryl, thank you so much for taking some time today to to talk with us, and um, and it's just a pleasure. Just we get to chat a little bit ahead and make your acquaintance. I uh, get to follow you, not stalk you, but follow you from afar for a little bit, and just so love what you're doing. Um, for those that are are new to you, tell us a little bit about what you're doing now. What your what your life and ministry is is like currently. What are you doing? Yeah, thanks, Richard. I feel like kindred hearts. It's been great getting to know you a little bit um, in these last few minutes. Yeah, I'm, I'm an Anglican priest here in the great city of Charleston, South Carolina, and I've only been here a year. Uh, prior to that, I did a lot of um, ministry in New York City and then was in um, Grand Rapids at a church there. And so when COVID hit, we sort of repositioned ourselves, hopefully for a long-term future here. Um but I, I lead a local church here called St. Peter's. Um, the, the pride of my life is I love um, walking with a few people really closely every year. And so uh, we have a little formation school at our church that we call Disciple Immersion, which similar to yours is like a nine-month spiritual pathway for, um, for the local church. You know, I, I feel like a lot of times we have really robust resources for seminarians and for priests and pastors. But I have just always felt like, um, wow, like, when do the laity really get into, you know, there's always like that, that small group of like people that have the time that are in the right season to say, Hey, I really want to take my formation to the next level. And I love small groups. I love alpha. I love all that. But is there like another level of depth that I can wrestle? I mean, if Israel 
is the word struggle. Like how can I struggle at a deeper level with some guided friends um, over the course of time? So we developed a little thing here. That's a series of retreats and reflections, a lot of readings and a few um, overseas learning trips in the area of justice and also um, in Israel, learning the way of Jesus in context. And so, um, yeah, it's a blast. I got 14 that are going through it right now that I'm just tethering my life to, and we're teaching each other, which has been really great. That's fantastic. And in fact, um, you, you actually put this in writing even back when you were at, uh, in Michigan and Mars Hill, there was, and I don't know if this was kind of the seed of that or it's similar, but the, it's, it's actually published in book form, right? Um, the, at least the, at least the beginning of this, is that correct? Yeah. A little book I wrote a, a long time ago called expansive. Um, I think the subtitle is stretching beyond superficial Christianity. What, what, what Mars did back in the day is, is they took their values and made them directional. So rather than them being propositional, um, they had these words that Shauna Nequist and Rob Bell came up with like with word and inward and outward and forward and backward. And these, all these word word directions that really helped you like realize like Christianity is a movement and it's a movement within me. And it's a movement that I'm on this journey and I like it because it's almost like the extension of the Shema, which is this Jewish integration of the heart, the soul, the strength from Deuteronomy 6.4 and some other passages. That's always been the central passage of the people of God. It was the central passage of Jesus even, um, expanding on the two most important laws in the scripture. Um, so I, Jesus took it seriously. And so I think that these directions are ways that we can help followers of Jesus take their formation seriously. So I'll give you an example. Like we spend a month on each direction. So like, what does it mean to read deeply about, let's say withward, which is the journey of community. Hmm. Like, how, like we read Dietrich Bonhoeffer and um, some other resources on life together and community. And what does that really mean to be in community in a world of individualism and networking and social media and checking in, um, and it's amazing to walk in a month of like doing some deep readings and then living this stuff out together. Um, so that's the module we're in right now. And what you find is over the course of time, as you go through all of these directions, it helps people realize like following Jesus is like a holistic endeavor. Um, so like the inward modules around contemplation, the outward modules around justice and mercy. And, and you realize over the course of time, we're really good at circling what we're good at. So like someone might be good at community at the withward direction, but hasn't like sat with Jesus in a year. Um, so like the inward module, the inward direction is like missing from life. You kind of realize that a lot of discipleship is kind of waking up to things that I've omitted. You know, mm -hmm. Dallas Willard talked a lot about omissions in our life. Mm -hmm. And so I think there are ways to keep us accountable to the fact that the human endeavor, the human journey is holistic. And we need to be thinking about following Jesus in directional formats that are, are greater than just what I like to do. Um, and so, of course, there are some directions we naturally veer toward and others that we veer away from subconsciously or consciously. And, and this nine-month journey helps us sort of face each of those bravely with one another. I love it. And there's, cause there's, there's nine months and there's nine directions. Right. And, um, if I have that there's right, six. Oh, no, six, there's six sorry. because as we take, we take every other month off okay. so that people can read and then they meet in, in triads, which are groups of three from the group. And then we also serve once a month in mission. So every other month, 
we take our Mondays off so that people have a kind of rhythm where they're on in meeting, gathering together. We gather all of us, uh, let's say in September on Mondays. And then in October, we're off reading, preparing for the next module and also meeting in triads. That's great. And then you said, and then there's mission and then there's some, some travel together to other places. Yep. I mean, what I, that's what I, one of the things I loved in just hearing a little bit about a few minutes ago is just that there's, it's not just content. It's not like you just hand people a set of books and say, Hey, study these, learn this information. It sounds like it very much is communal, right? And you're, you're together and you're sharing life and meals together. You're serving together. seems like it's just a, it's, it's just more, yeah, whole, all more, all of life. It seems like in what you're doing. Yeah, I'm really enjoying it, and I I I get challenged from these people probably more than I challenge them. It's it's so beautiful for pastors even to just enter into your community and not always preside over it. So we just had our first retreat for our our next group, and I'm going to tell you like there were a lot of tears, and some of them were streaming down my face about my own story, mm. and it's just a good practice I think in ways that. Um, you know, to find a few people that you can let into your life in ways that are appropriate. Um, it, it's just a different way to be a pastor, and I'm really enjoying it. Boy, just what you just said a moment ago, AJ, it just really strikes me as powerful and even, um, sadly, in some ways antithetical to some of the leadership a conversation we've heard in the last few decades, perhaps by some in some church circles, but that, that, that seemed to tell us, well, we needed to keep a healthy distance or some sort of distance from our the people were trying to lead and yet you've described it we're 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 actually entering in the community and not just presiding over it i think what what a beautiful expression and i love that that that's that's it seems to me a very much a pastoral heart yeah and, and there's a balance to it of course i mean mm -hmm. um i think there's some discernment that needs mm -hmm. to go on but i don't think to have a hard fast rule that that the church are those people over there and that I stand here in some way. Um, I just think a lot of discernment is needed in terms of um, how do we, how do we also um, enter community with these people? Because it, that seems to me what Paul was doing in Ephesus. Um, it certainly seems to me what Jesus was doing with his disciples. Um, yeah. So we need people in our community that, that know us, that we're walking with that can challenge yeah. us and also have our backs. Well, if Paul in Colossians is telling us, or sorry, Galatians is telling us that he's in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, that certainly yeah. does, doesn't imply <laughs> a great deal of distance. <laughs> I'm, I'm just if people are listening to this and they were like, man, I'd love to hear more about a, a framework like that, because they're just frankly, there's lots of good tools out there. But um, if they wanted to um, to get a peek at what you're doing, I mean, there's the book. If you could say, uh, mention it again, if people wanted to find it. Um, yeah, that came out in 20, I don't know, 18, 17. It was it was a while ago. It's called Expansive. Yeah. Um, but I think the biggest thing is like I try to share what I'm learning um, in ways that hopefully help others and can create conversations on Instagram. Great. So like I'll, I'll post like, 
our format and what we're doing, um, like all those resources, I try to just invite people into that because I know pastors are like, yeah, I feel that too. I don't know what to do. <laughs> like, how do you, what should I create? Like, what, how, how should we, what should we give ourselves to if we're going to give ourselves to things? Um, so my, uh, my username is just AJ underscore Cheryl. Um, and so feel free to eavesdrop and join the conversation. Um, I would also say like a big part of my journey, I, I teach the Enneagram around the country and I have a book on the Enneagram for spiritual formation, right. which just helps you with some of the practices around these things. Um, and then the last thing is I have a book coming out in October called being with God, uh, the absurdity necessity and neurology of contemplative prayer. And in the back of that, if, if some of your listeners want to design, for example, a contemplative retreat, there's a, a how-to. Like, how would we go about doing that, of designing a contemplative retreat? Because um, that's what really got me into the confidence of creating these pathways is I used to lead retreats to monasteries for us to learn how to pray. And over time, I started just building blocks and putting them together uh, and it created more of a holistic journey, but contemplation was kind of my gateway to take people out of New York city mm. and to help them really get in touch with the noise in their life. Um, and to know what to do about it and how to bring that to the Lord and how to experience the presence of God, even in the midst of the city, when we go back. Um, so that was a big part of my journey. And, and that being with God is sort of like a, a great primer if you're interested in that direction as well. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, um, it, it uh, we'll link to to um, all these things in our uh, notes for this episode. Uh, so if you didn't catch that when AJ just said it, but actually, and having read a few things on the Enneagram, and I know it is um, it's become so popular, um, and there's there's great stuff out there, and there's just some just okay stuff out there. And I would put AJ's book uh, as as one of the best that you could um, could look at and understand this. Not, not just as a, t a personality assessment, really, but more as uh, an invitation to uh, to be formed like Jesus through the unique ways that God has made you. Um, so uh, th that's a great one. So uh, we want there's so many directions we could go on the Enneagram and all that, but let's let's kind of circle back around because you do have this book coming out on contemplation. and um, and so um, First of all, when's the book come out? And um, yeah, and, and where would people find it? Yeah, October 19, uh, anywhere good books are sold. Um, this right. one's, you can you can pre-order right now. I, I think Baker, my publisher, is doing some like prompts and some guides through it if you pre-order. So you can do that now on Amazon if, um, if you're wanting to go ahead and do it while you're thinking about it. That's great. So uh, when people hear the word contemplation, uh, and, you know, even, and, you know, we have a lot of ministry folks that listen and others that, that are hearing this the word for many is still a kind of a scary word. Don't you think? Um, or, or maybe it implies, I'm just, even when I, when I first heard the word contemplation many years ago, I thought that's sitting and thinking really hard. <laughs> uh, um, so what, uh, maybe address that a little bit, just even the, the idea itself is how do people experience, you know, what comes up for them when they hear that? Yeah, I'll, I'll say a couple things. I'll address um, even mindfulness versus contemplation in a second. Um, I, I think I like to speak in images when it comes to this. So like imagine that we have a jar full of water, a mason jar, and you put some sand in there. Most of life, we live at a pace where the sand is shaken up into the water. And so all of that is sort of diffused. It's cloudy. It's hard to see through. Um, what contemplation does is it gives you a sense of space and time. 
um, a sense of solitude and silence where you can allow that sand to kind of fall to the bottom. It doesn't mean that that sand doesn't matter. You know, those are the contents of life, the things you're doing, the parenting, the emails, the, the all that stuff. But it means that we need space every day to let that sand kind of rest so that we have clarity about who we are, what's motivating us, what's driving us, mm-hmm. and really just abiding in the spirit. Mm-hmm. Uh, a God that says you're not what you do, you're whom I say you are, and that is that you're beloved, and that there's nothing you can do to make me love you any less, and there's nothing you can do to make you love me any to make me love you anymore. Mm. And I think reclaiming that belovedness in stillness is really important because you know my first action of the day is email or social media or wanting to prove something, wanting to compete, wanting to compare, wanting to be anxious about. Um, you know, achieving something in my life or getting all, all the things done in my day. And the Lord's first invitation, I think for us in the day and the last invitation, as Dietrich Bonhoeffer would say, is, is to be still and, and to be known, to be loved and to live from that place. So I think contemplation can help invite us into that place where we can peel back the layers and get into the primal sort of space of being with God. Mm. And that's a little bit different than mindfulness. Um, I'm mm-hmm. grateful for mindfulness and just some of the ways that even corporate America has noticed that people are spiritually hemorrhaging and that it's, it's hard. Like people are struggling and suicides are up and anxiety has never been louder. And even with COVID, like our external noise went up, but our internal noise has never been louder. So um, mindfulness is different in that it's an invitation to detach and the problem I have with that when it, when it comes to following Jesus is that his invitation is to actually attach, mm-hmm. um, but it's to learn to reattach to that which is reality. So we end up attaching ourselves to ego, false self, all these scripts that come at us of performance and achievement and all that stuff, meritocracy. And yet the goal of contemplation isn't to just detach from that. It's like John 15 says, to abide, to reattach to ultimate meaning, to, to the God that loves you, to cling to the spirit of Christ who lives at the core of your being. And so when Jesus says, go and pray in your room, he doesn't just mean like a pantry as he would in a Middle Eastern first century home. I think he's also speaking dynamically to say that there is, you know, inside your being, the spirit of Christ has been born into our hearts I believe, as Romans says, and yet we spend so much of our lives not realizing that the spirit isn't out there waiting to be apprehended, but is like within us, waiting for us to join the conversation that God's always been in. And so I think that's the invitation of contemplation is to reattach to the spirit of Christ, who through Christ is at the core of who we are in our persons. And so that's a really dynamic invitation that we're the temple of God and that we can be with God in the center of our chest, which I think is really interesting. That is, it's, and it's such a powerful, and, and, and thank you for, for really highlighting the, the, the differences there, because while there's certainly, I mean, anyone can benefit and would benefit from even just slowing down and stilling and, and just, like you said, even um, 
the difference though between just being mindful and aware that's a that's a gift and an important thing but then as as followers of jesus and those who are inhabited by god himself right he said that is that it's a connection right it's not a disconnect from everything so i can just be present to a moment which is that's nice but we're talking about an, a connection to to god in a, in a in a unique way right so yeah i i, I talk about this in terms of like four um four like prepositions so like when we're young we learn to pray at god we launch our prayers into the cosmos mm -hmm. teaching our kids to sit by their bedside and kneel and, and pray the you know that prayer um and then we learn to pray to god we realize it's a dialogue and we we start to talk to this god when we walk when we're in the car and then we pray for god when we're sort of discerning our call looking for prophetic words visions insight very, very rarely in the Western world are we encouraged to be with God. Mm. So we pray at, we pray to, we pray for, but really the missing dimension in a lot of the lives of the followers of Jesus is being with God, which is what we see Jesus doing in the wilderness. Mm. Like, can you imagine that Jesus is just talking at God for 40 days? I don't think so. Mm. I think there were probably a lot of, a lot of time in the wilderness where Jesus is alone in solitude and silence, where it's just being in the company of the father and, and, and the spirit binding that together, I think that's the model for us to say, this was a practice of Jesus. And so um, this witness of God is mm -hmm. what's often missing, I feel like, in the spiritual life. Mm -hmm. And yet that's where we often find peace, compassion, empathy. You know, in the neurological section of this book, I try to show like places in our brains that even come online when we begin to slow and be still and silent um, that we actually end up not even tapping into through most of our days. at a seminary professor many years ago and he, he had been reading Dallas Willard and talked about how we often think of Jesus uh, time in the wilderness of of solitude and fasting was that he would when then at the end of that time he's he's being tempted right and that we that that was a time of weakness uh, that you know Satan hit him when he was weak but actually uh, he he really asserted just the opposite that Jesus that time of aloneness and fasting and communion with the father was actually a, just a deeply strengthening time, right? To be That's prepared beautiful. for ahead. So I love that. That's mm -hmm. so beautiful. I love the subtitle of your book, AJ. And so it's being with God, the absurdity. I love that. And the necessity and neurology of contemplative prayer. So let's take that in reverse order. So, cause you just mentioned neurology and it seems like we are learning some really interesting things these days about uh, how our brains and, uh, internal systems work. So can you speak a little bit of the neurology of contemplative prayer? Yeah. I mean, a lot of this is, is really understanding like how God wired our minds. And then, you know, a lot of the neuroplasticity stuff is becoming viral right now, but what does it mean to integrate spirituality with our sleep and what's mm -hmm. happening with our brains? Like I'll give you an example for the, we need at least eight hours of sleep as adults. Um, and we don't, we fight that. We think that somehow we're the asterisk that we don't need that. I can go five hours. Well, you're right. You can go five hours and your body will be healed. Your brain goes to work on your organs. The first four hours of your sleep cycle, the second four hours of your sleep cycle, the brain goes to work on healing itself. So mm. it squeezes out the toxins. It actually shrinks and it squeezes toxins and it passes them through um, your bladder so that you can be free of those toxins the next day when you wake up. 
And I don't think a lot of people are investing in their long-term mental health. And a lot of that's because we're fighting sleep patterns and we're not getting eight hours. Mm. Um, and so that's a, that's a big part of my book. Stress is a big part of my book and how that's um, contemplation can really help us mitigate stress. I know that you know, a vast majority of doctor visits are actually, um, they stem from the anxiety that we're holding. A lot of the issues that we're having in our bodies right now, it begins and ends with stress. Um, And so what do we do with that? And how do I understand what's happening neurologically when I carry that around throughout my day? And then the last one is on breath, which I think might be the most interesting of how do I breathe with the God who breathed you know, creation into existence. Mm. Um, the God who is breath, the Ruach HaKodesh, we know the Holy Spirit, um, that most of us live lives where CO2 is still built up into our lungs, that we actually don't get out a third of the CO2 that's in our lungs every day, which is toxic. And so we live in a state of toxicity, even within our lungs every day. And so we don't breathe right. We don't sleep right. We don't eat right. We're stressed. It's no wonder that we see the kind of deterioration that we're seeing in society today, because we're not actually in congruence with how God created our brains to function in our lives in the universe. And so, um, you know, a lot of it is unpeeling some of the neurology that is happening in our brains through the ways in which we're organizing our lives right now. Wow. That's so good. I, I can speak to, to even personally um, as a person who's uh, battled uh, panic and anxiety issues from my childhood. Uh, one of the tools, and I even talk about it even with my own kids and, and friends, is the tools in our tool belt. But one of the first tools in our tool belt around dealing with anxiety is breathing, learning to breathe more deeply and and um, and paying attention to our breath. And because that's often, you know, when, when we get uh, even talking about acute, more acute anxiety, you know, we start hyperventilating, we're breathing shallowly. But I think you're saying that we, in a sense, we're doing that in much of our life unconsciously anyway, right? That's right. We're hunched over desks. Um, we feel like there's a lion chasing us. All of that, your brain is is responding and it actually is putting your heart in certain rhythms based on what it thinks is going on in the world. So when you're breathing shallow breaths, Um, When you're looking at that lion, also known as that email that is not a fun one that you're going through, your brain doesn't distinguish between the lion and the conflict at work. And so it's putting your heart in certain rhythms, which is why our heart disease is so high up. It's why our cholesterol is out of whack and all the things that we're seeing with um, even inflammation and things around that. It's all connected. Wow. Wow. So I assume in your book, you talk a bit about some perhaps some practical uh, steps around even just breathing and, and physical, you know, um, ways of orienting ourselves. Is yeah, that... my book's all practice based because that's, that's great. I mean, to just know this stuff is, you know, half the way down the field. Right. So let's jump to then. The, uh, we'll skip for come back to the necessity then in a minute. Then what, what do you mean by the absurdity of contemplative prayer? I'll illustrate it by talking about Times Square. On July 13th in 2019, before the pandemic, J-Lo was at Madison Square Garden doing a show, and all of the electricity, the whole grid went out in Times Square. And it's fascinating. If you Google it, you can see the – it's kind of eerie to think about Times Square being fully darkened. Yeah. And so you had 70,000 people that stumbled onto the streets in Midtown with their phones aglow trying to illuminate the path. And, you know, the next day it's like – you know, how absurd, like the lights went out in Times Square, how crazy, you know, and that's true. Cause what do we expect at 4 PM in Times Square lights? You know, what do you expect at 4 AM in Times Square lights? <laughs> what do you expect at midnight in Times Square lights? 
And I began to wrestle with the idea that what's more absurd that we expect the lights, that the lights turned off or do we expect the lights to always be on? Hmm. And it served as an, as a metaphor, I think for how we're organizing our lives right now with binge watching and matching credit cards and not getting good sleep patterns and looking at blue waves that come from screens just before bed to our diets. And I mean, it goes on and on and on. I mean, we're living a life in some way that's robbing us from a long-term flourishing. Mm. Like we're making like short-term quick um, judgments and decisions that are actually killing us long-term. Mm. Um, so it, I think it in a, in a culture where what's normal in the kingdom of God is actually kind of absurd, to live into the contemplative path is going to make you look absurd to a culture that normalizes absurdity, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So yep. it's absurd yeah. to think yeah. about the first step you're doing is just sitting in the morning. Wait, are you serious? Like you got to get to work. You got stuff to do. You have things to accomplish. Um, there's just a lot of ways. The way of Jesus is only upside down to us because we're living upside down. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think we need to realize that some of the lives, the pace, the rush, the hurry, the anxiety, like we're, we're not doing well. I'm not doing well. I'll say that. And I've, I, I need a breakthrough. And I think Jesus has that for us. I think the Christian tradition has that for us. And we should be paying attention to that. Mm. Yeah, I believe Dallas Willard, it was in the beginning of uh, what Divine Conspiracy, I think it was, when he talks about um, this idea of, a, he actually used the example of, a, of a, a pilot flying a fighter jet. And he pulls up at one point and crashes into the ground because he didn't realize he was flying upside down. And, you know, the sense of we're being, we're in a sense, we're living in disorientation, but because disorientation is, is normal and we've normalized it, that we've lost the sense of what, what even the possibility of a life, a different kind of life could be. Right. Um, Man. Wow. So, so let me pick at one other little piece. So when I, you know, a number of years ago, I got, uh, uh, the church I was serving, I was asked to suddenly be the, the new spiritual formation pastor. And of course that was still back in the, what, 2004, that was in many circles, that term was still sort of new. And then, and then people started looking up things and there were some scary blogs out there about the practicing centering prayer. And that was all new agey and we were all going to become, you know, um, I don't know, worshiping the devil pretty soon somehow if we started doing these things. And there seems to be less of that paranoia, although perhaps it's out there in some places. But but for some, there's when uh, they maybe when they're hearing when they talk about contemplative prayer. The, it, it, there maybe is a little bit of a like, uh, well, that's different, or it seems like, is this is this really okay <laughs> to um, mm-hmm. to be quiet in this way? Because we're so oriented to think of prayer as, like I said, as as well, frankly, usually monologue, like you talked about earlier, talking either at or to God. Um, but this idea of get, making space to actually just be with God is novel, and perhaps for some, a little scary. So, um, yeah, could you speak to that a little? Yeah, for sure. I think that's a, that's a healthy um, response, so I wouldn't criticize that. Um, I would encourage them, if it's true Christian contemplation, the invitation is not um, to go into your, your true self in an abstraction. You know, like, like the invitation of, of contemplative prayer is not like finding your true self 
and you've got to just dig in and find the immortal diamond, as some would say. Like the invitation is is to find the God that lives inside of you, mm. and to realize that um, you don't. Prayer isn't you creating a conversation with God. I mean, it could be, it can be. Prayer is about you joining a conversation that the triune God has been in eternally. Yeah. So like God's already been in a conversation, and like I love that. Um, the Holy Trinity icon where you see this dancing God around the table, you realize that father, son, and Holy spirit have always been in a conversation Mm -hmm. and are inviting us into that conversation. And I think that's a really beautiful thing to think that being still and, 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 and listening is about learning to join a conversation that God has always been in. Mm -hmm. And that's really more about presence and being than it is about information. So yeah. I, I would say, I would encourage your listener to say, we're, the invitation isn't to be theologically abstract and to just go into yourself that's empty and vacuous. It's to say that the spirit, when someone surrenders to Christ, it's poured into your heart. And so we attend the spirit that, as Romans talks about, is groaning within us. And so that's the invitation, is to meet God in who we are and to become aware of God's presence within us. Mm. Um and I think that's a that's a helpful way to to make sure people feel safe. Um, you know, another thing I tell people is to learn Lexio Divina, because what are you doing? You're starting with the text, so take three verses in the Sermon on the Mount, and just read them for four minutes over and over, and then reflect on them. Like, what's a word that comes up? And then write about it. So like, write a prayer that's coming out for three minutes. And then now that you've done your reading, your reflection, your writing. Now just rest for three minutes. You don't have to do anything. God heard your prayer. God heard the text from your heart. And you could just be with God in totally vulnerable love without having to do anything. And I think that's an invitation um, to learn to reclaim our belovedness and who Christ says we already are. I grew up in traditions where, again, prayer was largely, uh, well, pretty much exclusively us talking to God. Like, you know, the Bible was God talking to us and prayer is me talking back to God. And so we sort of sort of settled it that way as opposed to uh, thinking of, of it more as, like I said, an invitation to an ongoing conversation. And so I remember when I was first even learning a number of years ago to actually be still and seek to just be open to what, however God might want to speak within my, and not looking for some, you know, um, you know, I don't know, just being open to God. But uh, I remember talking to my son at the time, he was probably five or six years old. And I remember we were I thinking I'm really, you know, kind of tr- introduced this idea and I said, you know, um, so, you know, prayers, we talk to God and sometimes we just listen and, and that God might want to speak to us. And he looked at me as if I was saying something really obvious. Um, and I said, so um, does, does God, um, do you ever sense God like kind of speaking to you? And he looked at me like, well, duh, you know, and um and I'm like, wow, what, do you, what does God say? And he just looked at me like, this is a silly question. He said, he tells me he loves me. And yeah. uh, I just, it was, uh, and he, and he but, I, but I loved because there was such a, there was a childlike openness that it was just to him so incredibly obvious. I was like, well, what else would God want to tell me totally. more than anything, but that he loves me. And thinking, wow, if we could be, if we could hear that in the depths of our being from God, how profoundly transformative that would be. Wow. 
Um, so it seems like there's that's there's this invitation. So if someone is hearing this and they go, man, I, all right. And I, I, I mean, I'd say, yeah, your book is going to be very practice-based, but if they're hearing this right now, we go, well, where would I even begin? Where would I begin if I, um, this, this is in, maybe intimidating or I'm not sure how to even go about um, practicing this in a, you know, kind of dipping my toe in, so to speak. What would you, what would you say to them? Yeah, this is what the middle of the book does. This is the necessity section that's the longest section it's six chapters but it's really short chapters it guides you into the shallow end of the pool hmm. my book is not for doctorate level seminarians that are monastic in and they're looking for the next thing to blow their minds this is designed for people that are saying i'm an everyday person just needing help because hmm. i believe i believe what you're saying richard i want to hear god's love over me too how do i do that and so that's yeah. what the whole middle, the first section says, hey, listen, the lives we're living, the culture is absurd. Uh, the end is saying, what's going on in my brain when I do this? But the middle is saying, okay, how do I do this? Because I do want to try it on. So guide me through. Oh, that's so, um, good. so that's been helpful. I know for me, when I started getting into it, the works of Henri Nouwen were helpful for me. Mm. But really, Thomas Keating has a book called Open Heart, Open Mind. Mm -hmm. And that was always really a beautiful read, too. He's deep. Um, and so I wanted to create a little resource for my church in New York at the time that I could take people on contemplative retreats at. And um, I spent a week with Richard Rohr back in the day. And, and he, uh, you know, when I drafted a book, used to be called Quiet, it's now been absorbed into being with God. Um, and he really helped me rethink my chapters to make it as practical and accessible as possible. So it's designed for that purpose. So um, that's good. Well, let me ask you this then. So uh, let me just anticipate an objection of someone who um, might say, and and this would have been me too. I think many years ago, I was like, look, I I don't sit still well. That's just I'm not a I'm not a naturally monastic. I'm not introverted. I'm not a contemplative. I'm not one of those kind of people. I just don't sit and when I do, I get all agitated and I and and they might even say it's not good for me to sit still. It's better for me, yeah. you know. Idle hands are the devil's workshop, remember. So I, I better not be idle. So. Yeah. Yeah, there's a, a great way to integrate your body in this that helps with that. So like for example, if that's you well, none of us are really good at sitting still, so welcome to the party. But I know for some, like, that's even more of a challenge with um, with all sorts of, you know, even personality quirks and things going on chemically in us or trauma that we have from our past. I would say, you know, prayer labyrinths have been really good because it's a way to walk around in a maze that gives your frontal lobe in your brain something to do. Mm. But I, I, I walk every day on a trail so like, if that's you, try walking in nature. Don't bring your phone. Don't bring it to do this. Just you and the Lord, find a sacred phrase or a prayer that you like, and just put that on your, put that on your breath. So connect it with your exhale and your inhale. So whether it's the word shalom or whether it's the Jesus prayer, you know, the prayer I pray is Lord Jesus Christ, I inhale that and I exhale, have mercy on me. And I'll just say that over and over and over, and then I'll forget to say it and get distracted, and then I'll graciously have to come back to it every single time, over and over and over. But I walk because it helps give my body and my brain something to do, and it also exposes me to the beauty and presence of God in creation, um, which is really a really helpful contrast from our working lives. 
so freeing, I think, too, and to recognize we can that there's ways of practicing some of these kinds of rhythms, regard no matter what your temperament, personality, style, there's there are ways of of entering in and that are it um you know can fit who we are. Um so that's wonderful. I um I, I I'm struck with that. I, I I was trying to take a you know prayer walk uh the last few days with taking my dog in the morning and of course uh, we're obedience training him. So that takes me right out of prayer because uh, yeah. <laughs> he's not, he's not obeying. And it, of course it's bringing some really, uh, you know, things that God wants to attend to in me uh, up right to the surface. So uh, that's different, exactly right. <laughs> different practice. Yes. Wow. Um, well, AJ, this is, this is really wonderful. They, um, you know, it, what have you found just as we kind of kind of wrap this uh conversation up what how, what have been some of the gifts of of this kind of practice in your own journey in your own life with god i think it's helped me in my marriage um honestly just speaking practically it helps me to um I, i've learned to listen better and to pause more i've learned to live less reactively um, you know, I'm not sure God is opposed to the active life. I think God's really opposed to the reactive life hmm. where we're just reacting all the time. I love it when they bring in an adulteress before Jesus and he stoops down and writes in the sand. I mean, this is Jesus refusing to react and to just play into whatever the, the carnival at the moment is trying to do. Hmm. Um, so it's, it's helped me with that. It's also helped me. I think I've, I've grown more empathic over the years and compassionate. And again, like it trains your brain to connect stronger neural pathways um, in places that are not always online. We live in our amygdalas and our frontal lobe. And I, I get into that in the book, but there are, there are areas in our prefrontal cortex that some neurologists would say 10% of humans ever dial into. And that's like deep seated compassion and empathy is where that resides. So it really helps you when they've studied yogis who have done decades of practice that that's the areas of their brain that are most, that are most strengthened is these areas of the brain that we often omit. Um, and contemplative prayer is one of the practices that helps you strengthen your neural pathways in those areas of your brain. So it's helpful. It's so good. It's so good. And I, and, and again, what I, I, I want to just offer to anyone listening is if you're th hearing this and going, well, is this all kind of new stuff? Really what we're talking about in many ways is returning to something that's very ancient mm -hmm. ways of being uh, with God and actually of being even within our own bodies and in our own, in the creation itself, in the world we live in um, that, that date back really millennium that we've in a sense lost and are, are starting to rediscover um, we live in such a, a mechanized and uh, urbanized and uh, individual, as you name, you know, you name it, uh, it that we've lost uh, some of these uh, rhythms and ways. And yet it's encouraging to see them being rediscovered. And, and even then, as we practice them, like, as your, it sounds like your book is describing, wow, turns out these things were really good for us. And, yeah. um, that, and what a gift. Yes. So, wow. Well, again, remind us we people can follow you on uh, Instagram. Um, that that is great. The book is coming out on October nineteenth. I've already pre-ordered mine, and encourage folks to to get a hold of this book and um, and also uh, your book on the Enneagram and um, yeah, anywhere else that people can uh, kind of find or follow you and what you're doing these days, AJ. Yeah, Twitter and um, come visit us if you're ever in the Charleston area. Would love to meet you. Sounds good. 
All right. Thanks so much, AJ, for this time and um, really appreciate getting to talk to you today. Yeah, grace and peace to you, brother. Thank you for joining us for today's conversation. If you found it helpful, feel free to share this podcast with others and subscribe to it on iTunes or Spotify, wherever you found us, and give us a rating. We'd really appreciate that as well. Again, if we can serve you as part of Wellspring, we are here to serve the church, both its leaders and people in whatever ways we can. So go to wellspringca.org to see what resources we have to offer and how you can be served by them. Go to our Facebook page, just search Wellspring on Facebook and you'll see lots of resources there as well. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, grace and peace.